We are in a historic moment right now. We have 10 years to reduce greenhouse gases by half. If we'll have any chance to stand at 1.5 degrees Celsius pathway, which some people think we are really lost. And in the middle of this, we are having a pandemic with a wide-scale shutdown of businesses. Some of the questions we are going to ask in this episode are how can we move from a negative COVID-19 disruption to a positive clean tech disruption? How do we guarantee the recovery packages are green and sustainable? I'm pleased to welcome Santiago Lorenzo, Anastasia Bekish, Roman Zinchenko, and Henrik Halgren. Santiago is an ecological economist specialized in finance. Santiago is head of sustainable finance, part of the senior management team of the Climate Action Network International Secretariat. Anastasia Bekish is my colleague at Reconomy, an environment and climate change manager. She is a professional in the field of climate policy and civil society development from Belarus. Roman Zinchenko is a green economy advocate and a co-founder of Green Cubator, which is a Ukrainian energy innovations network. He develops ecosystem for green startups, social entrepreneurship, and sustainable innovations. And Henrik Halgren, a director of operations at the International Council of Swedish Industry and chairman of the think tank Eurasia Forum in Stockholm and Berlin, where he works as an analyst and advisor on East European and Central Asian politics and economic affairs. I'd like to start with uh, Santiago. How do you think COVID-19 is affecting? Green investment was at the edge of political and economic priorities before the pandemic crisis. Do you see any shift away from this focus? Uh, that, that's interesting. Um, no, I don't think so. Those uh, Green investment is um, since 2015, when the Financial Stability Board report back to the G20 leaders on how climate risk could represent uh, a systemic risk to the financial stability. And the, the answer was, yes, it can be a systemic risk. Uh, is, the, is the first time that, uh, because the Financial Stability Board, you may know, is uh, is a body created in 2008 to deal with the crisis, the financial crisis of 2008. And it is uh, the constituency's central bankers, its regulators. So it's the first time that regulators really put this on the table and with urgency. Uh, it's not NGOs like us, it's, 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 it's the regulator. So that message has been listened. And there are a lot of efforts. The TCFD was created because of that, precisely in, in COP21. Uh, and um, in Paris. But are investors aware of climate risks? In the exploration of uh, financial risk and the analysis of this risk and the disclosure of this risk is something that investors are asking because of their own interest in businesses. And COVID-19 is not, is not, is, is, on the top of climate crisis. The climate crisis continues. It is true that this year uh, emissions has, has flattened and sometimes dropped a little bit because of, of the lockdowns. But, but uh, climate crisis, any single investor aware 
of what is climate and the climate risk of their assets uh, is uh, they are aware of that they know that climate persists and is, is there. So that's the most the, the, the most important trigger for green investments. And uh, also the side of opportunities. We know that there are economic niches growing in uh, many places because of this ecological transition. And, and because for instance, uh, renewable energy in many, many cases is now uh, cheaper than, than fossil fuels or comp in competitive terms it is much more interesting uh, assets right now. So there are a lot of economic reasons why this green uh, investment wave will continue. However, it is true that some economic stimulus packages in many countries are pouring money and big amounts of money to uh, those uh, fossil fuel industries that were already somehow in crisis and they are taking the opportunity because they politically they are still well positioned. They can press uh, different governments. They are getting this money from the stimulus packages. So in that sense, it's, uh, I think it's not affecting the wave of green investments, but it is affecting the, the, the ability of us to, to deal with climate change. And also uh, it is somehow delaying the dominance of, the, of those uh, new niches, those new technologies that really, because it's not only in, in, in the oil and gas uh, or maybe even coal, but it is in transport, etc. So is there some delaying in terms of green investment? There, there, there is indeed some delaying, but the trend will come back and, and very strongly. So the question here is how this public money that uh, these stimulus packages uh, represent, how this public money is affecting a common good that is the atmosphere, how it is affecting the competitiveness in the mid-term mid of, of our economies. So it is uh, in the cases where this money is going into the fossil fuel industry, it is badly used because you can put conditionalities. What conditionalities you can put? If you, I offer as a government money for the fossil fuel industry because of jobs and because of the urgency, that is legitimate. There are people behind these industries and people in, 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 in a very difficult circumstances. Then I put the money. Yes, okay, I put the money, but I put conditionalities. There are ways and means to demand these industries that whenever the, the, the economy recovers a little bit and they, uh, keep, uh, they start having uh, revenue and, and profit, they should, um, they should commit in a transition plan that aligns with the Paris Agreement because most countries in the world are signatories of the Paris Agreement. So, and these industries are not aligned with the Paris Agreement. How can we use the public money in this case? So you can use the public money wisely. You can use the money in a way that uh, it, it really uh, delivers to the public interest in the, mid, in the short and the long term. So in the short term, it's, it's evident that you need to, 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 to look on jobs and on, uh, on keeping the people a lifeline in these difficult circumstances. And the fossil fuel industry is, is, is one of 
of of uh, they it's uh, they they give a lot of employee in, uh, employment in many places you need to to support that but with a transition plan behind to look to the long term so all in all is green investment coming back i i think green investments will come back probably some packages are delaying action are delaying investments but all in all it will come back uh, and potentially much more strong because also we need to be aware of some political signals. The Biden uh, election win will change the landscape a lot. So let's, it's not, not guaranteed, but it, it seems it has changed a lot the landscape. So we, we will keep that, that in mind. So in that regard, I think the economic practices, uh, the, the impact of the pandemic is a little bit delaying, but it's not changing the way. Uh, Anastasia. Are there any signs in Eastern Europe that local stakeholders, such as governments, financial institutions, and businesses are committing to green economic recovery? How do we stimulate the emerging clean tech industry to grow and lead in the recovery processes? The short answer is no. But the situation, of course, differs country by country in the Eastern Partnership region due to local circumstances, political and economic situation, and the capacity of local stakeholders like governments, financial institutions, businesses, and civil society in pushing for the green economic development. But first, uh, let's discuss what do we mean by the green recovery. And uh, the coronavirus hit our economy's heart, and we are all witnessing the historic declines in economic growth much worse than during the crisis in 2008 and 2009. And uh, all around the globe, governments and international institutions are working on the stimulus packages, uh, which will allow us to rebuild their economies and uh, uh, repair the damage and create new jobs. But the question is still how this new post-COVID world will look like. Uh, will we continue doing the business as usual like we did it before uh, or use the historic opportunity to tackle, I would say, even more serious and dangerous in the long-term perspective crisis, climate crisis and nature loss? And uh, it's absolute must to understand that the decisions we are taking now will affect our future for the decades. So the green economy opens a window for solutions that uh, benefit uh, people and planet. Uh, and the green recovery measures will allow us to ensure the real well-being of the most vulnerable by addressing the health issues, for example. And uh, uh, this is uh, very much connected to the air quality, water and land pollution to create the new and innovative economic opportunities and reduce, uh, reduce the risks associated with the climate crisis, both the physical and the transition risks. Uh, currently, uh, around half of the existing jobs are connected to the natural ecosystems and they're all at risk. Uh, and uh, well, uh, according to the estimates of the World Economic Forum, Green transition can help us to create almost uh, 400 million different green jobs in the coming 10 years. So it's clear that if we uh, just return to the business as usual, uh, we will fail. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's time now, and we still have the time to tackle the climate crisis, but this time is extremely limited. 
Uh, and uh, now we have the one generation opportunity to seriously change these systems. Uh, and um, I would say that the green recovery is not a fully new concept. Such measures were implemented during the 2008-2009 crisis. And uh, as an example, the South Korea stimulus package uh, at that time included the investments into the uh, build uh, renewable energy, energy efficiency, green transport, and river restoration. And uh, there is a strong evidence uh, based on this experience that countries uh, that focused on such measures recovered uh, much faster than average. Uh, so coming back to 2020, uh, it's extremely meaningful that the European Union has already committed uh, to align its recovery package with the climate action and environmental protection. Uh, currently, over 30% of the EU funds planned for the recovery will be spent on the green economic measures. And this is a great achievement indeed, and it shows the continuity and strong commitment of the European Union towards the EU Green Deal implementation. So there is no such a big delay as expected. Uh, and the Eastern Partnership region is highly dependent on the European markets and the investments, clearly. Uh, this doesn't, however, mean that it will lead automatically to the inclusion of the green growth into the national recovery packages in our region. At the current stage, uh, I would say that none of the countries of the region committed clearly to the green measures or expressed the political will for doing so. Of course, in some cases, it is uh, very much uh, related to the political crisis, like in Belarus uh, or Armenia and Azerbaijan. In case of Belarus, there were discussions on the recovery uh, during the spring and summer, but now it is not even on the table. In case of Ukraine, however, there are good and bad signs. Uh, thus, Ukraine recently announced the establishment of the State Climate Fund, uh, which will support the, initiative, uh, the innovative clean tech projects, uh, adaptation measures, energy efficiency, etc. However, at the same time, uh, the Ukraine plans to uh, invest in offshore oil and gas drilling, which is clearly part of this so-called brown economy and looks quite outdated in comparison with the plans of the European Union countries. However, uh, there is still a hope uh, for the EAP region. Uh, and uh, in any case, I believe that the European Green Deal will make a difference. Uh, in upcoming five years, uh, around 50% of the investment of the EIB will be climate aligned. This same situation is relevant for the EBRD and uh, even the private invest investors. Uh, so the access to the grants, loans uh, for the green transportation development, for the energy efficiency renewables, precision agriculture, modernization in the manufacturing waste management system will be strengthened. So the ball is currently on the our side here in the Eastern Europe. And uh, if we have decisions and we are open to cooperation with the climate champions like European Union country and especially Scandinavia, uh, there is still a chance for us uh, to reach the right side of the history. Henrik, how multinational Swedish companies can contribute to sustainable development 
including in the Eastern Europe region? Well, that's a big question. And I think uh, if we speak about multinational companies in general, perhaps, um, on a high level, we might say that uh, in the last few years, I think it can be said that it's almost universally accepted that the Agenda 2030 has no chance of being fulfilled without the participation of the private sector, including uh, the multinational companies. On a global level, the, uh, uh, the know-how, the innovation, the business practices are going to be needed to achieve uh, the SDGs. Now, I think um, one thing that we have to keep in mind is that that is for the global SDGs, for example, the climate transformation. But we also have to make sure that the SDGs are fulfilled on local level where these companies are also active. And, uh, and this, is, this is part of the challenge, of course. Uh, and then I think the important thing in this context is to realize that the multinational companies are actually part of an ecosystem uh, locally as well. So they are not just financers of sustainable development, um, they're also acting in the local context. Uh, I think um, another parallel trend that has developed in the last few years is that the responsibilities of the companies for their suppliers is pretty straightforward and pretty regulated in terms of anti-corruption practices and so forth. And there is an increasing trend to focus also more on the um, environmental and social aspects, including the respect for human rights in your supply chains, or at least among your suppliers. And the other trend is that although you're not uh, formally, normally speaking, responsible for the conduct of your customer or where your products are used, for example, there is an, in there is an increasing um, awareness, including among uh, 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 banks and uh, credit agencies that the, there should be um, a larger knowledge about your customers' uh, um, performance in these areas as well. So these are, I think, important trends, and that's manifested in the, for example, the uh, OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises, or the, in case of human rights, the um, UN guiding principles for business and human rights. Um, I'm saying this also because I think that uh, even when we talked about the financing for development and the Addis Ababa agenda and so forth, I think that the role of multinational enterprises was rather restricted to the sort of the funding uh, part. But they are actually very important actors in many respects, also in the local context. Roman, uh, how can the transition to green economic development offer relevant and meaningful economic opportunities in terms of better incomes and creation of decent jobs? Uh, our perception of, of this sector is very practical and very pragmatic. We see the growing climate economy as multi, not multi-trillion, multi-billion, but multi-trillion economic opportunity. And when we are discussing it with Ukrainian entrepreneurs, we are saying, okay, Look, the lot of net of wealth in our country is creating through export industries. Uh, maybe domestic market for climate technology, for climate innovations, for sustainable tech is not yet developed enough. But look at the global market. And that's that's your job to benefit from providing providing the solutions and providing the clean technologies 
to the countries and the companies seeking greener innovations and you will be able to create more jobs and create more wealth uh, through the global green economy and i'm really happy that i see a number of really talented ukrainian entrepreneurs benefiting from that and creating solutions for the different uh, greening initiatives across the globe and this is really beautiful how the innovation entrepreneurial talent is creating the greener innovations uh, creating the green opportunity in Mexico. We are the company which is founded here in Ukraine with the, by the entrepreneur with Kazakh passport, but who is like Ukrainian uh, driving force for many innovations here. Or how Ukrainian entrepreneurs are transforming aerospace in terms of its being less, less wasteful. On how we are exporting the charging solution. So that's a huge opportunity, I believe. And um, this global connection is actually opening a lot of uh, job creation, uh, innovation and wealth creation chances for, for the players that would be ent entering the sector. Of course, it demands some patience and resilience, especially during these days, but uh, I see, I see this, this understanding growing both here in, in the neighboring countries too. Uh, the world will look different at the other end of the tunnel we just entered. So in your opinion, how to keep clean tech momentum going in the post-COVID-19 world? I see uh, three important components. We, we need to keep it going and especially we need them, uh, uh, we need them in more conservative, more traditional industries who are often over-reliant on the old type of energy solutions, old type of industry. So we need three key drivers. First, we need management capacity, but I don't mean just management capacity as somebody who's got the MBA diploma. I want a generation of green MBAs who are passionate and focused on transforming the businesses into greener business models. So this is actually the part of my uh, educational uh, educational uh, work. I do a course called Green Business Models with, with Lviv Business School, which is one of Ukraine's greatest business school. And I do hope we'll be expanding that with a new project we are just starting, which is called Green Cubator Academy. So, when we are speaking about the management for green transformation, that's not just about the management skills, that's also leadership skills and ability and strong will to transform the industry and open for them the roads into a greener future. The second thing is coming from the, is coming from the sector where we don't have probably enough ambition, but we do need greener regulation helping businesses transition into the greener production cycles, into uh, sustainable supply chains, into circular economy models, and the regulation should be helpful toward that, uh, towards that goal because, and unfortunately in many countries, I see a kind of slight push, no, no, it's not time for getting green. That's exactly the right time because by protecting the old school um, ancient business models and ancient technologies, you're just cutting your people off the future. And so that's time to reinvent many industries. And actually crisis is a great time for starting many industries. And many industries were born out of crisis. And uh, lastly, that's the, the, that's the innovation in finance. Because we need 
bankers work together with regulators and entrepreneurs to offer more democratic, more affordable, more understandable and less complicated financing solutions to keep innovations flowing and to keep transformation going. Well, I believe that the concentration of um, entrepreneurial talent, uh, behavioral innovations, regulation and innovation in finance are the driving forces, are the driving forces for the significant breakthroughs in, in greening the industries, in transitioning to green, greener business models, and that gives a lot of opportunities. Well, I'm not speaking of R&D in this context, because what I believe, we do have a lot of technologies already available. The biggest challenge here is actually scaling them and making them widely available. And you know, when I'm doing my, uh, my uh, lecturing, I'm often giving the presentation of the very simple uh, technology which became innovation half a century after. So this is, the, this is the innovation you have in your pocket. This is like a cell phone because the formula for Gorilla Glass was created in the mid fifties last century. And it was shelved, if I'm not mistaken, in 1963, because there was no market for the Gorilla Glass, for the glass that was initially used for uh, windshields in the racing cars. And only when Steve Jobs scratched the, his prototype iPhone with, his, with the keys in his, his pocket, he said, no, no, we need the glass that won't be easily scratched. So that's how the new chapter started and how the technology became the innovation. So, I believe we have huge volume of technologies eager to become innovations, but they need scaling. But for scaling, we need the combination of finance and entrepreneurs to come together and scale them up to overtake the markets. And well, that's, we see here actually a lot of things happening in transforming the older industries into new formats. So uh, if you will be asking me about some champions, well, I have champions who are delivering a lot of innovations on the intersections of the of the industries and helping them get greener, more resource efficient, and more energy efficient. Santiago, uh, back to you. Uh, do you think the pandemic will slow down the commitment to decarbonize or speed it up? Is there an opportunity to move strongly and more forcefully? Um, I think, uh, as mentioned before. I think that as a little slowdown will happen in some countries, not necessarily in all, all depends on, on how your, uh, your economy is shaped. So those economies that rely on fossil fuel exploration ex and exports, they will try to, to bail out those industries and use the money for that. And we are witnessing with no conditionalities for a transition. So that will evidently slow down the commitment to, the, to decarbonize. However, um, the conditions to decarbonize in, uh, are there, the technologies are there. And I think we will witness uh, a speed up potentially in a couple of years, something like that. But it is true that this couple of years can be really problematic for the, 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 the climate action, to fight really climate change, because you know we have a decade of action as uh, the IPCC report 1.5 mentions. If we don't 
change the trend of of, uh, of CO2 equivalent in the atmosphere in the in the next 10 years, we will be really a, a jeopardized to achieve our the 1.5. All right. Thank you for watching another round of Inclusive Plug powered by Reconomy. So, what do you think? How can we move from a negative COVID-19 disruption to a positive clean tech disruption? How do we guarantee the recovery packages are green and sustainable? Please send us your thoughts in the comment section below. We have interesting topics coming up, so stay tuned and hit the subscribe button. This was Sabine, a communication manager at Reconomy, a program of the Swedish International Development Cooperation Agency implemented by Helvetas in 12 countries in Eastern Europe, South Caucasus and the Western Balkans. Thank you for tuning in and see you soon.